0: The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, as you're finding your place in Matthew chapter 5, I want to do a little uh, demonstration here, a little little real-life illustration so you know there's two opposing forces light and darkness and we're in a room right now that's got fairly bright LED lights and stained-glass windows that let in natural light so because it's morning time and it's its daytime it would be difficult to make this room Dark, um, and, and so I can. I'm gonna demonstrate that in a minute. But I've got this flashlight here, and you know we all know what a flashlight's for. Usually, if you're going out after dark or before light, have a flashlight. Or if you keep one in your home, it's you know in the case of power goes out, you need a flashlight. Something that's not dependent on the electrical grid. You need something that's got batteries, and so that's to light up the darkness right so when you're in a place that's already light you turn on a flashlight it might be at at its source kind of bright I'm trying not to hit anybody in the eye with this um, and stay above your, your sight line but you know look on the wall you see it but it's not you know especially the farther away you go it's not really all that bright Now, if I were to do that, other than the the TV screens and the cross, there are no other lights on in the room. There's one in the sound room and one in the foyer, but they're not really affecting this space. But these windows, see these windows, thank you, Don, I appreciate that, uh, turning the light off back there. The windows let in a lot of light. But now if I turn the flashlight on, you can see the effects of the flashlight a little bit more, right? Maybe in the spots where the light is not shining as well, you can see it a little bit better. But come back tonight, because when we finish our Bible study tonight, and it's probably dark outside the effects of this flashlight would be a lot more profound. You know why that is? It's because the light repels the darkness. And when it's really, really dark, even the smallest light creates uh, a space where there is no darkness. If you've ever been what I call uh, out in country dark. You know what country dark is? And so I've I've experienced a different level of country dark because when I was in South America and I was 12,000 feet up in the top of the Andes Mountains and it was dark and you walk just a little bit outside of the village where you're standing and there's no lights of any kind. And you go out in the middle of a field. You turn your flashlight off. You, you can't see the hand in front of your face. That's next level country dark. But you know what I found when, when you get in a situation like that? You look up. And you see stars you've never seen before. You see the traces of the Milky Way galaxy. Because you're at a higher altitude, and there's no light around you. But when you look up, you see light. The farther away you are from your light source, and the more darkness is around you, the harder it is to see, the harder it is to function. And so today, in the Sermon on the Mount, as we pick up where we left off two weeks ago, in Matthew chapter 5, beginning verse 13, Jesus is going to tell us a couple of things about what it looks like to be a witness for the kingdom. He uses two commands, illustrations, salt and light. It's only four verses, but they are... Very profound. So let me read these four verses for us. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. The words will be on the screen for you to follow along. You can look in your copy of God's Word. But listen to the words of Christ as He is teaching His disciples and the larger crowds that have gathered. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that in these next few moments we share that you'll take this word that we've read, you'll open up our minds and our hearts, help us to understand what you're trying to tell us today, and then help us be obedient for your glory, for our good. For Christ's sake, amen. You know, you've probably read this text before. It's brief. You've probably heard this before. This is probably not the first time for many, if not most of you, perhaps all of you, probably not the first time you've heard these words. Salt and light. Matter of fact, last summer when we were with the teenagers at the, at the um, centrifuge camp down in Georgia we went to, this fellow walks by and he had this t-shirt on. And it, it said, Matthew five thirteen through 16. And it said, I'm salty and lit. <laughs> and I have since got my own t-shirt that says the same thing. Because I thought, thought it was hilarious. Uh, Because you first look at it and it says salty and lit, like that's not a good thing. But then you read the, the verse, like, okay, all right, I get it. That's what we're called to be. But the more we read, there's a little bit more to it than that. It's not just what we're called to be, the Bible says it's what we are. So let's talk about that a minute. The first thing that the text tells us, verse 13. Live like the salt of the earth. Live like the salt of the earth. You look at that, that verse, that beginning, it says you. So Jesus is talking to His twelve. Other people, you know, crowds have gathered. So many are hearing. But He's focusing on His twelve closest. The disciples whom He had called. You are Now, isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, you should be, you need to be. He said, you are. He's describing what the disciples are to be. Now, you see now why He's saying the things He's saying in the way He's saying them? You are the salt of the earth. But then He just says, yeah, but what happens if it's not salty? So he goes on to explain what it means to be the salt of the earth. Influence should be wide. It's not confined to a narrow circle. Salt of the earth. He didn't say you're the salt of Jerusalem. He didn't say you're the salt in Israel. You're the salt of the earth. See what he's saying? Christians, followers of Christ, aren't meant to confine their influence. That means, what does that mean for us? You're the salt of the earth. Well, does that mean we all are supposed to now turn into world travelers? And we've got to, you know, go everywhere. Well, somebody, somebody needs to. Right? It may not be us individually to go everywhere, but some Christian is going all over the earth. That's why when Jesus ascended back into heaven after he had risen in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. and He says, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. He He says, specifically, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's where we're to be making disciples. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who... Man, if you read anything he wrote, it's very convicting, very profound. He said about this command, he said, it's not for the disciples to decide whether they will be the salt of the earth, for they are so, whether they like it or not. They have been made salt by the call they have received. Now you see this next question, this rhetorical question Jesus asks. He says in verse 13, if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? And that's rhetorical because salt can't cease to be salt. It just can be diluted. It's still salt. The chemical properties haven't changed. It's just when you dilute salt, let's say you're cooking and you add too much salt. What do you do? You put something else in there to counteract the salt, right? You can't take the salt out once it's in there. It's in there. That's why before you're taking the salt shaker, what do you do? Let me check make sure this thing's tight on there because I don't want the cap coming off and it dumping in there all this salt when I don't want that much salt. So you can't unsalt food once it's salted. You can only dilute it. But once it's been diluted, it's worthless. Because it's not doing the job it was intended to do. John Stott, another giant of the Christian faith, wrote, If Christians become assimilated to non-Christians and contaminated by the impurities of the world, they will lose their influence. And if we Christians are indistinguishable from non-Christians, we are useless. Now, let me just try to clarify what what he wrote. We are in a place, if, if we claim to be followers of Christ, we are living in a place that is not our home. And that's a challenge because until we go to glory and be with Jesus, this is where we are. And... We're not leaving here a day before Jesus says we're leaving. You know, even the great theologian Clint Eastwood in my, you know, one of my favorite movies, Heartbreak Ridge. Even You can find God's truth. You know, all truth is God's truth. You can find it in different places. His platoon of rejects that he was trying to reform One of them had died in combat. And the other soldiers were gathered around and they said, Gunny, don't let him die! And and he said, It's not up to me. He said it was his time. And when it's your time, it doesn't matter how fast you run, your time is up. Now that's an interesting Hollywood take, but it certainly is true. Because... We have um, a home away from home while we're on Earth, and we have a responsibility to represent Jesus. But if we get too comfortable in our home away from home, then our home away from home starts to feel more like our home instead of our temporary residence. And you might think, well, that's okay. That's no big deal. We need to, you know, we need to be able to, to. Um, relate to some degree, right? Uh, we, need, we certainly need to be able to uh, have an influence in the world, so we have to build relationships. We need to be in the world and not of the world. That's the concept. But here's the thing. Do we recognize fully the danger we are in by being in the world, trying not to be of the world? Do we realize how much influence is around us trying to pull us away from our job? And so we then have run the risk of not doing our job, but the world doing its job on us, right? I've heard many times that uh, you know uh, people will say, well Christians, you know, y'all ought not, ought not to be involved in, in government and politics and stuff like this, really? I know there's a danger, but, but if, good, if good men and women who stand up for Jesus don't get involved in those things, how is there ever going to be change? Somebody's got to stand for what's right in every context, right? It's a, it's a quote that was attributed to Sir Edmund Burke, but it was not originally his. Uh, but he said these words, The only thing necessary for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. You want to know why our culture seems to be degrading at such a quick rate? Who's the loudest voice? It's this little smidgen of the population that's got all these crazy ideas and crazy ideals and crazy principles that don't line up with the the Scriptures, but they're the loudest voices. So where, where are the Christian men and women? Let me rephrase that. I know where they are. Where are the Christian men and women with a backbone? Willing to stand up, plant their feet, square their shoulders, say, no, no, you're wrong, I don't care what you say. That's not what the Bible says. Screaming at the top of your lungs, I'm not going to believe what you're saying. Because it doesn't square with Scripture. And that's my authority. We need more of that. And sometimes we we lose the balance... Between truth and love. Because we're not called to just speak truth. We're called to speak truth in love. And that becomes a challenge when the truth is challenged. Uh, Our truth, the, the Bible's truth is challenged so much. But let me just tell you why it's such a big deal. Because we have potential errors when we are trying to be salt and be light as God has called us to be. The, the potential errors is to think this is two extremes. Well the world's basically good and it'll eventually become perfected because of Christian social action. That's just not true. The world is not basically good and it's steadily getting worse. But the other the other equally dangerous error is to be on the other end of the spectrum and say, no, not the world is basically good. The world is basically rotten. And so Christians should just completely separate themselves and just let the world go on to hell. Well, that doesn't seem right, does it? Especially when there's, there's five, at least five direct instances in the New Testament where Jesus gives the Great Commission, where we're supposed to go into all the world, preach the gospel, and share Christ, Right? That's our number one job as a church. As a church collectively and as Christians individually, we're supposed to be sharing the gospel, making disciples. Right? But here's what happens. If we don't take that seriously, if we don't get involved and be more vocal, trying to still maintain a uh, a loving demeanor, but still not being afraid to speak the truth, we have to speak truth into the face of evil. Because if we don't do that, he, listen, he, here's what we might as well do. If we're not willing to go and engage people in conversation and speak up when someone is coming against the truth of the Scripture, and, you know, we can't just sit there, well, I don't agree with what they're saying, but I don't want to get involved. You know, I don't like conflict. Well, I don't like conflict, and I'm not afraid of it. And we can't be afraid to speak the truth. Because here's what ha- here's what. Alright. Theoretically, here's what... If, if a church is not willing to stand up for, for what's right in God's eyes according to Scripture, if we're not willing to stand up for the truth of God and make an impact, then, then here's what we might as well put out there on the sign. Y'all go to hell, we're full. Isn't that the practical conclusion? if we're not willing to speak truth in the face of evil, if we're not willing to reach out and try to make positive change for the Gospel. Now, it's not to say we're going to be successful on on a full scale, because we know, we know, you know, read the Scriptures, we know that despite our prayers and our best efforts and our obedience to Christ and our witness, despite those things, the world is trending downward because we know that that's the way the bible shows us the picture we know the ultimate end we know jesus is victorious the gates of hell will not prevail against the church we understand that ultimately but we've got to stand up and we've got to be the salt salt is a flavor it's a preservative that's us that's our responsibility in the world in the culture did you know that if a body doesn't perspire and give off salt then it begins to retain fluid and becomes bloated and the church becomes bloated and unhealthy if the salt isn't dispersed in the work of preservation by speaking truth that's one of our responsibilities live like the salt of the earth the second thing the final thing in this text verse 14 to 16 live like the light of the world live like the light of the world so what does that tell us right off the bat there's darkness there is darkness around us and, and I, don't, I shouldn't have to convince anyone of that you know, turn on the TV, watch the news, walk, you know, just walk around and observe. We, we live in a dark place. And again, Jesus says, you are. It's a description, not an admonition. It is, you are the light of the world. You have the earth, you have the world. Again, wide influence, not confined. We know that Jesus is the light And so wherever His followers are, then we should be reflecting the light of Christ that's within us, right? Isn't that our job? But let me tell you an interesting thing about our light compared to Jesus and His light. A city on a hill, He says, can't be hidden. So the disciples aren't to be worldly people. We're not to be indistinguishable from the people among whom we live. We're supposed to be the ones... Making the influence on others, not being influenced by the world. And that's why it's so difficult to be in the world, not of the world. Because these influences are all around us. I mentioned when I was in South America in the nation of Peru, and I was up in the mountains, and you could see all these things when it was dark. You turn your light off and you could see all these things. Well, you know what else you could see? You could see the, the, the village. You could see the city from way off. Like if you're in a van and you're traveling all these little mountain roads and you see the lights of that city because we're way up in the mountains, you could see it for miles because everything around it was dark. But you could see where the city was. Like it looked like lights in the middle of nothing because you can't see the road. Like if you were in the van and you turn your lights off, it's just there's nothing. You said way off. You see the city. You know where you're headed. But until you turn the lights on in the van, you don't know where you're going. It's a city set on a hill, and so the Bible says, Jesus says, "Light a lamp, put it on a stand, give light to everyone in the house." So, what's the purpose of following Jesus? We're supposed to give light to others. We don't remember the song. I mean, this this was a throwback. I appreciate the choir. I felt like I was a kid in Bible school again. That was great. You know, hard to beat those simple truths, right? You know another song? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Right? And what's the second verse say? Hide it under a bushel? No! I'm going to let it shine. Right? Guess where that came from? Right here. You don't have a light and hide it. The Christian is a light to the world, the light of Christ. The last thing we're supposed to do is keep that to ourselves. We're supposed to let it shine for everybody to see. That's the purpose of being a follower, giving light. It's not an option that the disciple of Christ just chooses to do or not to do. Remember, He said, you are the light of the world. Not if you have time, try to shine here and there. You are the light of the world. That's our responsibility. No matter who you are, if you're a Christian you are called to reflect the light of Christ to those around you. So what is Jesus saying in these, in these words here in verse 15 and verse 16? The light of, of Christ in a Christian should be as visible as a city on a hill. The light of Christ in a Christian should be as bright as a lamp set on a stand in a dark home where it gives light to everyone in the house. That's why He uses those analogies there. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, verse 14, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house, verse 15. But look at the purpose. This is the most beautiful part, verse 16. Why is that so important? Why do we do that? Why do we take the light that Jesus has given us and shine it like a city on a hill or like a light on a lamp on a stand why do we do that verse 16 let your light shine before men so that there's your purpose what's the purpose so that people in the world will see the good works of the person that follows Jesus now what's the purpose in that so we get a pat on the back no no because we've got to keep reading, so that people in the world will see the good works of the Christ follower and glorify your Father who's in heaven. See, it's all about pointing to Jesus. It's all about pointing to the Father. It's all about giving glory where it's due. And it's not due to us. It's due to Jesus. It's always due to Jesus let me, let me close with this. Oh my goodness, I'm going to let you all out early. I shouldn't have looked at the clock. I am so sorry. I'm sorry. I hope you don't feel shortchanged. Let me give you this last illustration. And, and it's very fitting because you know you know what tomorrow is? It's almost there. Like it's almost 1% today. But you know what tomorrow is? Don't say President's Day. I'm not talking about that. We don't blaspheme in the church. I'm sorry. Um, tomorrow is the new moon. You know what the new moon means? It is the opposite of a full moon, which means now and tomorrow, completely dark moon. If it was September, October, I'd be giddy because deer, deer hunting would be wonderful on the new moon. Right? But so here's here's the point. Do you know why in in astronomy, do you know why we see different phases of the moon? Did you know this little fact? The moon does not shine its own light. The moon is illuminated. Do you know what that means? It means it reflects the light of the sun. Which means when we have a dark moon, like tonight, tomorrow, it's because, with the uh, position of the earth and the sun and the moon, that at this point right now, none of the light of the sun is hitting the moon. So it's dark. Doesn't mean it's not there. It's just not in line, it's not exposed to where it can receive the light of the sun. Now, in two weeks or more, when it is just the opposite, instead of 0%, it's 100%, it's a full moon. That means the full power of the light of the sun will be reflected on the surface of the moon, which is why we see what we call a full moon. You see where I'm going? As a Christian, I need to be in a position where I am never out of the line of sight of the Son, the Son of God. I need to constantly be in view, close to the Son of God, so I can always be at 100% reflecting the light of Christ because we are like the moon we are illuminated we reflect the light of the sun but if we're if we're out of position if we're not where we need to be if we're not in the word if we're not spending time with the lord in prayer if we're not prioritizing fellowship with the body of Christ if we're you know what you just go down the list whatever the whatever things help us be healthy as a Christian help us get close to Jesus if we're not in that position then we're not going to reflect as much of the light of Christ as we ought to reflect which means we're not We're not letting our light shine before men in such a way that they see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. We're not being the light of the world or the salt of the earth because we're out of position. It's easy to get out of position. So what what do our priorities need to be? First and foremost, Jesus. Jesus. He's the only one that deserves that spot in our lives. Jesus. There's no no human relationship that should come in front of Jesus. There is no uh, parent-child relationship that should come in front of Jesus. There's no work relationship that should come in front of Jesus. Jesus is in sole possession of first place. Therefore, He has every right to tell us, you are the salt of the earth. Don't get diluted by the world. You are the light of the world. Don't get out of position where you're not reflecting the light of Christ. That's what we're called to do. We don't produce light on our own. The only light we shine is the light Jesus shines on us. That's our task. If we want to be salt, we want to be light as Jesus calls us to be. Don't be diluted. Don't get out of position. Stay close to Jesus. Stay in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Guard yourself. Guard your heart against the influences all around us. We have to be... We have to be vigilant we have to pay attention it is so so easy for the world to press in there's a constant battle going on and we have to be on our guard don't be diluted by the world live like salt of the earth don't get out of position live like the light of the world Glorify our Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.